This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. What's going on, everybody? I'm Mara. And I'm Taz. And welcome back to Sisters Who Kill. Just a trigger warning, this case does have to do with a false allegation of rape. And there are some times when you feel like you have to do anything possible and say anything possible to keep the man that you want. This year, I'm holiday shopping for everyone, so it feels like I am off to the races. And this year, when I'm doing my holiday shopping, the most important thing while I'm elbowing everybody to get the best deal is to stay hydrated. That's why I'm so happy to have my Liquid IV. Liquid IV hydrates two times faster than water alone, all in a single stick. And now it's available sugar-free. You can choose from tons of flavors so you find the flavor that really fits you. I've tried quite a few different flavors, and let me tell you, the green grape is my favorite. Liquid IV is for hydration, and everybody needs to stay hydrated, not just athletes. When I use Liquid IV, it's usually when I'm about to start recording, or if I'm going out to work out, or if I'm getting ready for a show, especially when I know that I will have a long day shopping at the stores. What I love most about Liquid IV is that it's so convenient. I can throw it in my purse and I have it with me at all times so I can put it in my water bottle and be ready to go. Liquid IV has no artificial sweeteners and zero sugars. It contains eight vitamins and nutrients for everyday wellness. And now you can grab your Liquid IV hydration multiplier sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco or you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code KILL at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using the promo code KILL at liquidiv.com. Now, let's get back to the show. Our players this week are Danita Smith, our victim, Jameer Stroud, Danita's fiance, Shannon's ex, and the alleged accomplice, and Shannon Crawley, our murderess. Shannon Elizabeth Crawley was born on June 12, 1979, to her parents, Keith and Anne Crawley. She had her first child at a young age, and then she had another. Her baby's father was not very active in their life, and he actually decided to move to California while Shannon was left in North Carolina to raise her children on her own. But this did not sway Shannon. She was the pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps type of girl. She got a job as the 911 operator for the Gulford Metro in Greensboro, North Carolina. This was a nice, comfy job job that would ensure that she had everything that she needed to provide for her children. When becoming a 911 operator, she of course needed to go through some intensive training. 
classes, mock calls, simulations, all of that. And 911 operators would usually take these classes with police officers in training because they're also learning the codes, how to make sure that they can communicate properly, all the things that we need to keep us safe, allegedly. While in this class, she met training officer Jameer Jackson Stroud. For most of the course, they would partner up for the mock calls. They were learning different codes, etc. And people would definitely describe Shannon as a very beautiful girl. In every picture I saw, she had herself a fresh perm. And her perm looked good every single time, okay? She reminds me of my ex, redacted number, let's say redacted number four. Um, Let me guess which one it is. Keep talking. Okay, redacted number four used to keep her hair permed, and oh, it. it stayed. <laughs> redacted number four used to keep her hair freshly permed, but it worked for her. Some people, they every everybody is in the freest from the creamy crack, but. White people, just so you know, because there are white people that listen to this podcast. Creamy crack is not an actual drug. Oh, it is a drug. It's very bad for you. It's a perm. And for black people, the perm makes your hair straight. Instead mm. of white people, it makes your hair curly. I remember when I was younger, and this girl was like, I got a perm look. And I was like, how you got a perm in your hair curly? Right. And I was like, and, wait a second. It does the opposite? Right. Yeah, redacted number 40, she used to have that perm ready and always laid. And it looked good for her. And the same thing for Shannon. Shannon's hair, every picture I see of her, no matter what timeline in this case that we were about to talk about, her hair looked good. And Jameer noticed that Shannon was beautiful as well. And so at the end of the course, of course, they exchanged numbers and promised to stay connected. Now, Jameer Jackson Stroud was a 2002 graduate of North Carolina Central University. Shout out to the HBCUs. He graduated with a BA in public administration. Hmm, public administration. That's interesting. As opposed to business administration. I don't think I'm, I even knew that was a thing. But okay. While in college, he became a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. And he was a member of the Sound Machine, which was the marching band down there. One band, one sound. When he started in the sound machine, he met this woman who turned his life upside down. And her name was Danita Nicole Smith. That's a nice name. It is. It flows, right? Mm-hmm. It flows I, very well. I'm surprised we have not had more Nicoles as middle names. Because that is the top black girl middle name out there. Really? I thought Elizabeth was. Mm, I think it's Nicole Really? Because every time I tell people that I have a common middle name, they are like, Elizabeth? And I'm like, yep. I have two sisters with the middle name Nicole. (laughs) That's right, because you're not Nicole. No, I'm not. (laughs) I always forget you and your twin, because your twin is Nicole and you're redacted. Correct. (laughs) Danita Nicole Smith was born on November 20th, 1981 in Charlotte, North Carolina, to her parents, Sharon Elaine Cook and Calvin Lee Smith. She graduated high school in the year 2000 from West Charlotte High School and then went on to continue her academics at NCCU, where she was an Eagle Scholar. She played the saxophone in the marching band, and she was a member of the church choir at the University Park Baptist Church. She became a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, 
and she was a reporter and a photographer for the Campus Echo, the campus newspaper. She received her BA in English from NCCU. She was an extremely talented photographer and journalist, and she took her craft very seriously. Because of this, she received a fellowship to the New York Times Student Journalism Institute, and she was the second person in NCCU history to receive this fellowship. After graduating with her BA, she decided that she wanted to be a double graduated, so she re-enrolled as a graduate student to continue her education. Danita and Jameer, they both met when they were in undergrad, both a part of the sound machine, and fun fact, I So I did undergrad at HBCU, and then I went and got my master's at a PWI. And I remember at my first game, I was like, oh, I can't wait for fifth quarter. And everybody was like, what's fifth quarter? And I was like, oh, is that just an HBCU thing? <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Because that's really—we're coming to football to see football? No, we're coming for the fifth Never. quarter. <laughs> Most of Danita's friends said that they loved each other very much, and everybody could tell. They were the perfect couple— she was an AKA, he was an alpha, they were both part of the band, they were like college sweethearts. After Jameer graduated from undergrad, he moved about an hour away to Greensboro, North Carolina. He really wanted to start focusing on his career. And that's when he became a police officer for the city. Now, Danita, she was working on her master's program, so she was still in Durham, North Carolina. So even though they were about an hour away from each other, the relationship was still going in seemingly going on very strong. Now, when Shannon and Jameer met during the training program, rumor has it that Jameer was getting picked on by the other officers in the break room, probably just some back and forth type of shit, and Shannon would come in and take up for him. They made it seem like he was weak, but he didn't really seem like a weak type of dude. They were probably just talking shit is what it really seems like. The two of them dated for a while, but I don't know if you really could consider it dating because Shannon never introduced Jameer to her family. Jameer never introduced Shannon to his family. And by all intents and purposes, Jameer had a woman back at home. They were just friends with benefits. And both of them really knew that it was a friends with benefits situation. It seemed like they were on the same page, that they were just messing around. They would hit each other up if they had a long day. They were each other's outlet. But nothing really serious. They never had planned romantic dates. They never went on outings. They just were fucking around. And according to Shannon's mom, she was like, I never even saw pictures of this man. Like, she never was like, oh, look, this Mia Bay or whatever. She heard about him, but she just thought that he was a friend from work. Now, regardless of what anybody thought or if they were in a relationship or not or if they were dating for real or not, they definitely were messing around because Shannon finds out that she is pregnant shortly after they started messing around. And so when she tells him this, they both decide that it's not a good idea for them to have a kid right now. They're just not in the space. They're both not dating seriously. And she already has two kids. So they come to a mutual agreement that they're going to abort the baby. Now, the story is very sticky on this. Now, Jameer says that it was a mutual agreement between the two of them. Shannon says that she didn't want the baby, but Jameer was upset because he wanted the baby. And because he was so upset about the fact that she decided to get rid of the baby, that she decided that she wasn't going to mess around with him anymore. And Jameer, if you ask him, he didn't want the baby at all because, remember, he's got a woman back home. Not just a woman back home. Not just a woman. Danita has a ring on her finger. He's planning on marrying her and spending the rest of his life and having his first kid with her. Like, you want to experience, a lot of people would say, everybody's different, everybody's story is different, but a lot of 
people would say that if we're planning on being together and you don't have a kid and I don't have a kid, we're expecting to have that first experience together. Listen, I'm going to say if y'all are together with no kids, absolutely, that is the plan to have y'all first kid right. together. Ain't no way I'm not together and I'm planning on you having a baby outside of me. My cousin is with his girl and when they were together in college, he got another girl pregnant and they are still together. Listen, but it was and she not ain't got no kids. <laughs> he had a kid before he got to college, and then when they were dating, he had a kid on her, and they still together. I don't. Said, more power be to me, her. But different folks. It could be strokes. me. That's my family, so always got his back. But <laughs> couldn't be me. <laughs> when they cut off the communication, pregnancy scare was enough for everybody to feel like, okay, we need to slow down. Jameer, he said that Shannon started tripping. She started driving by his house. She started stalking him, just coming by. She even moved into the same neighborhood that he lived in. All of a sudden, he go to church. She pop up at the church. She a member. And, you know, anybody can join the church. You grown. And I'm happy that you're in the house of the Lord. So I can't tell you don't come to church, right? Because what I look like saying don't come to church, I go to this church. I can't stop the Lord. And now, if he sees upon you to get the blessings of this word, then sit down and be quiet. Right. I can't help I got a good pastor. He be spitting. Now, over time, Shannon starts telling her parents the complete opposite. She tells her parents that Jameer just seems, like, very unstable. He's blowing up my phone all the time. But it's so funny. They're saying the same thing in opposite. So she mm. says that he's blowing up her phone all the time. She says that he's always yelling at her, that he's always upset. And she's I just got to the point where I'm just ignoring him. I don't want him to be upset anymore. According to Shannon, she started feeling threatened by him showing up all the time to the point where she decided that she was going to need a gun. So one of her coworkers was like, I have a gun you can buy. So she paid $185, proper bill of sale, completely legal, bought herself a gun. But see, the thing is, somebody's lying. My oldest sister, right. Krista, she used to hit me, and then she would run and tell my mom that I hit her. Like, to just get ahead of it. Mm. So somebody's playing a game. Yeah, it's basically that. Who's who's hitting and who's running? She says that Jameer was blowing up his phone. She, Jameer says that she was blowing up his phone. And apparently, she says that Jameer would just sometimes randomly show up at the dispatch center, would send her messages like, oh, you look really nice today, and then leave. And she said at first it was really annoying, but then it got creepy and... It was weird. So in January 2006, Shannon and Jameer, they decided, listen, we can communicate, but we're going to be just friends. We're not going to do the back and forth thing. You can't pop up at my house. I can't pop up at your job. You can't pop up. You can still go to church. We can still go to church together. We can still get the word. But other than that, we don't need to have any other communication. She already bought a house in the neighborhood, so we're going to see each other, neighbor. So here it is. It's Christmas service at church, 2006. And Jameer walks into church, hand in hand, with his fiance. This is the first time that Shannon has ever laid eyes on Danita. And no one knows for sure if Danita was showing off her ring or not, but people that knew Danita said, baby, she had that ring up in everybody's face anytime that she could. And I feel you, baby, because as soon as I get one, oh, it's, it's going to be an every... It's, it's going to be everybody. I need to check with my fiance. Hold on. Let me call my fiance. It's going to be a wrap, okay? 
this really upsets Shannon. Now you're just going to be bringing this girl up into the church. You know, you now I get to see her flashing her ring and she's sitting close by and y'all just acting like I'm not here. So it's January 4th, 2007 at 819 a.m. The maintenance man at the apartments that Danita lives at, here's a gun go off. So he drives towards the sound, trying to see what's going on. And as he pulls up, sees a black woman leaving, and she's very distraught. She's got her hand over her mouth like she's shocked at whatever she's just seen or whatever, and she's getting on over to her car. Now the lady gets into her truck, and he pulls up beside her, and he says, ma'am, are you okay? And she shakes her head, no, she is not. Then he says, did you hear that gunshot? And she says, yes. And he says, she is in here, like, upset, boo-hoo crying. So he's like, all right, I'm going to call 911. So he calls the cops. The cops come out, and they find nothing. I hear he said it was a gunshot, but we don't see anything to be alarmed about, so we just going to call it a day and head on back to the station, get back out on patrol. Now, this morning, Shannon gets to work pretty late, around 10 a.m., and I think her, her shift at the dispatch center was at 6 a.m. And while she's on shift, she breaks down and tells her assistant supervisor and her supervisor about how Jameer has been pursuing her. And they are a year past their breakup. She's I've tried to cut ties. I've tried to leave him alone. And he just keeps on popping back up in my life and it's stressing me out. I don't know what to do. Now, these are the first people she's really telling about this situation, her feelings of harassment. According to her parents, she didn't tell them anything, but they assumed this was because she didn't want them getting all worked up and upset. It's their baby girl. Don't need to be worried. She also tells her co-worker that she's scared, but not just for herself, her kids as well. Back at Danita's apartment in Durham, another call goes out to the police department. Now, this is about two hours after the first call. And a guy named Corey Smith, who lives at camp the apartment's Campus Crossing, calls the police and says, I have just found a woman at the bottom of the stairs. Her belongings are scattered everywhere. He says, I think she fell, but blood is everywhere. She's not responding. She's not moving. And I don't want to touch her because I think she might be dead. And he's pretty frantic on this phone call. Am I coming outside my house in the morning and seeing a dead body? Is this what's happening in my day right here? Is this how my morning started? Since Corey is on the phone with 911 and... As he said, her stuff is all over the ground. The dispatch operator says, look for any ID, see if you can identify who this person is. And he looks, and there's her wallet, and in the wallet's an ID. So he's like, Danita, her name's Danita, Danita, it's Danita. Now, the police arrive on scene to check it out, and it turns out Danita is dead. She was shot one time in the back of the head. Now, Edith Carly Kearns, this is Danita's best friend, she gets a phone call from her, her brother, who lives in the same apartment complex as Danita. And he's like, yo, Edith, something's going on. Police is out here and everything. And he was like, you heard from your girl Danita today? And she's like, no. He's like, I don't know, sis, you might want to check on her. So she get off the phone, she start calling Danita, and Danita's not answering. So then she's like, you know what, I'm going to call Jameer, because it's her best friend. Of course, I got your man's number. She calls Jameer. And... Jameer says he's already on his way to campus from Greensboro because he ain't heard from Danita all morning either. So 
he lets her know before you called. I heard there was something going on at the apartment complex. And I'm on my way. I'll see you when I get there. When he arrives at the, when Jameer arrives at the apartment complex, he goes, introduces himself to the investigators. I'm Jameer. I'm an officer of the law. I'm also the law. <laughs> I'm an officer of the law. <laughs> I, I'm out here trying to figure out what happened. I know the victim or whatever. And they're a little, hmm, they take that with a grain of salt because what's actually happening here? Are you covering up? Why did you feel the need to make that known? We're just going to keep that in our back pocket. But Jameer goes on to spend the rest of the day with, with Danita's family. Now, Kristen Thompson, a friend of Danita, says that she initially thought this was some random crime. Because Danita's one of the nicest people you could ever meet. And if you ask me to come up with a reason why somebody would want to murder her, I just can't. EMTs and the police arrived to the scene, and they were able to determine that she died from a 38 caliber gunshot wound to the head. The paramedic who declared her dead at the scene's name was Corolla Locke. At the crime scene, which was like the stairs were also included at the crime scene because they could very well tell that the crime happened at the top of the stairs and she fell down the stairs. But the entire crime scene, the stairs, they were littered with all of her personal belongings, her purse, her wallet, her keys, a couple of water bottles and other personal items. And they were able to determine that robbery could not be a motive because obviously if robbery was a motive, her things would be taken. Of course, they already knew that her name was Danita because of the 911 caller, Corey. They also interviewed a groundskeeper, Michael Hedgepeth, at the school, who said that he heard the gunshot when it happened and said shortly afterwards he saw a light-skinned woman running away from the area, and they were at the 1100 building. And he said that he saw this woman get into a burgundy SUV, and he was like, it just looked unusual because she also took a very unusual route to leave the complex there's a more convenient exit and if somebody lives here they know the easy way out of the apartment complex you know how like when you came to see me at my new place you went all the way around the hard way to get to my apartment yeah. and i was like girl you need to cut up through here and that's how you get to my apartment so you he knew that the person that got in the car was not familiar with the area and he actually said that he got into his truck, followed this person, caught up with her. And he was like, hey, are you OK? I heard a gunshot. And he noticed that the girl's hands were just covering her mouth. And she was shocked. And she said yes. And she said she was scared because she's I'm so scared. I heard the gunshot and I ran away because I'm afraid of guns. I can't believe that somebody is shooting in the area. He said, just wait here. Don't worry. I'm just going to call the police. She was like, no, I live in the 1200 building. I just want to go home. And he was like, OK, go on home to the 1200 building. I will call the police and I'll let you know when the police arrive. And he said as soon as he picked up his phone to call 911, zoom, she ran off. Detective Pate then goes on to question Jameer. And they suspect that he's the one that maybe killed his fiance because the shot at the back of the head was a pretty precise shot. And he's a cop. He owns guns, possibly more than one. More than likely, the person that killed her is somebody that's close to her, right? They're just going off a regular true crime logic. They ask him where he was that morning, and he says he was sleeping because he had just got off of work. He worked a late shift. And they were like, okay, well, do you happen to know a tall, light-skinned woman who drives a burgundy SUV? And he said, oh, my God, yeah, I do. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And they're like, okay, tell us. And he starts telling them about Shannon. He said, Shannon drives this car. We used to mess around, but she's like stalking me, you know. She's been really obsessed with me for a while. We go to the same church. Actually, it's my church that she started going to. We live in the same neighborhood. Actually, it's my neighborhood that she moved into. We should go talk to her right now. So it's one day after the murder, January 5th, and Detective Pate drove to Shannon's job and asked her supervisor if she knows where she is. They tell her supervisor Shannon is a potential murder spec for the crime that just happened in Durham, and we need to speak with her immediately. <sighs> Don't talk to my boss like that. Shannon's... Right. <laughs> right. Right. Don't talk... <laughs> At least say we need to speak with her like, about like, oppressive this is issues. My... And if it turns out I didn't do it, then what? Now she looking at me like I got away with it. I'm a murderer. Now, Shannon's supervisor is in shock. Shannon's involved? Is somebody smart? Shannon? But, yeah, she's right over here. Of course y'all can talk to her. While Shannon's getting questioned by the police, she has her sister Erin and Erin's husband on the phone. And they're like, girl, leave. Are you under arrest? leave but shannon's like girl i can't leave my supervisor's standing me tell you know telling me to talk to them which mind your business and that's why y'all shouldn't have told her shit <laughs> so they're interviewing sharon here at her job and they're like well, what is your relationship to jameer Stroud?" and she was like we used to date broke it off about a year ago things have been fine we go to the same church nothing out of the ordinary the cops are like okay why did y'all break up? And she was like, I uh, got pregnant, didn't want to keep the baby. He was upset about it, just couldn't move forward after that. Simple shit, nothing too crazy. Then they say, do you know who Danita is? And she says, yes, I do. She said, Jameer explained that that was an ex of his. I've never seen the girl in person, only pictures of her. We've never actually formally met, but yes, if you ask me if I knew who Danita was, yes, I know of her. She says that in person, she's only seen her once, and that was two weeks ago in church. And he's also she's also seen Davida in some random pictures at Jameer's house. But again, not too crazy. They say, have you ever owned a firearm? And she says, oh, no, I'm afraid of guns. And, okay. So then she was like, can I just ask... Why y'all are asking me all these questions about Jameer and Danita? Jameer not even a part of my life anymore, and I really don't know Danita. So where is all this going? And they said, Danita was shot and killed yesterday at her very own apartment complex. So have you ever been to Durham? And she was like, not exactly. I've driven through, but I've never actually stopped in Durham and been around. And it was like, can you tell us what you was doing between 8 and 10 a.m.? She said, I had to take my kids to the doctor. They were sick, came into work late. Bada wing, bada boom. This is the end of her first interview. And as far as the Texas could tell, Sharon seems like a nice lady. Nothing she says seems crazy, alarming, or outlandish, suspicious even. But on their way out, the supervisor hands a note to the detectives. 
She tells the detectives that the note is from one of Shannon's co-workers, and it said that they needed to talk before they left. The note reads, I purchased the Taurus 85 Special shot revolving frog from, they blurred out who he bought it from, and he paid $185 for it. I sold it to Sharon for the same price in cash. It had a wooden grip when I bought it. And when I sold it, there was a rubber grip on it in black. I gave both pairs of the grips to Shannon. She told me she felt like she needed to have some protection in case her house was broken into. But this man said, if my gun appear up in this investigation, understand it ain't my gun no more. Okay? <laughs> right. Here is a bill of sale. <laughs> Whatever you need to know, this is why, this is when, this is how. And it was actually pretty recently, it was actually pretty recently that he sold her this gun. Okay. Now, the police are like, this is getting very messy. Let's bring Jameer back in for questioning. When he comes in, he starts off by admitting that, yes, he did have an affair with Shannon while he was dating and engaged to Danita. He admits, he says, quote, it was stupid and it was selfish and it was the biggest mistake of my life. Danita was perfect. Man, she was perfect. Niggas get on my nerves because if I'm so perfect, if I'm so the woman of your dreams. Why are you fucking it up? You didn't Why are you even it risking enough? it? Why are you looking for more? Right. If I'm so perfect, then what is it? And I feel like women, I don't know. Was it the fact that she was in grad school and didn't have time to move with you? Like, I feel like sometimes I'm about to get on a soapbox, but sometimes I feel like women are meant to feel bad because we're busy and we're successful and we're trying to become successful. Was that it? She did not have enough time for you at this particular moment in her life. And then when she would have graduated from grad school, had a successful career, you guys could have had a long, healthy, and happy life together. What is it? I want to know the answer. Tell me. Call me. Anyways, after they asked him if he ever told Shannon that he wanted to have a child with her, he quickly responds, no. When the abortion stuff went down, I learned my lesson for even being in association or having an affair like this. That was the wake-up call that he fucking needed. Detectives asked if he ever gave Shannon any reason for her to fear him or to be scared of him. And Jameer says, no. If anything, it's the opposite. She was calling me. She was harassing me. She was riding by my house. She was always blaming me for stuff. And I was always the problem for everything that happened in her life. But I didn't even, we're not even communicating like that. So how can I be the reason for all your troubles? And they were like, okay, what about the baby? And he says, listen, Shannon wanted this baby. She said that she was so excited. And I kept saying, no, we cannot have this baby. I'm not going to have no child with her. I cannot make this commitment to you and ever since then she started tripping that's when she just started flying off the handles you know what i'm saying they checked all of his weapons and he handed them over willingly none of his weapons matched the gun that was used for this murder they asked where he was at the time of the murder and he told the police i was at home i was 60 miles away in greensboro in the bed that's all I can give you. Police in the interview with Jameer, but they still labeled him as a potential suspect because Danita is his fiance. And Shannon is the one looking very suspect because now we know that you have at least lied to the police once. And according to the detectives, they're like, listen, they're both suspects right now, but 
We don't really have a clear motive for Jameer to murder his fiance, but we do have a clear motive for Shannon to do it. The police go to the doctor's office of Shannon's children to make sure that the alibi was legit. Because remember, she said that she had a sick kid and she decided not to go to the appointment. But she finds out that the kids were not at the doctor's that morning, nor that they have an appointment to go see the doctor that morning. Boom, we've caught her in another lie. Then they decide it's time to pull some phone records. They pull the phone records and they find out that she was in Durham on the day of the homicide. Her cell phone pinged a fourth of a mile away from where Danita was murdered. And Jameer, his phone was in Greensboro the entire time. Now, with this evidence, detectives are like, okay, we're starting to see a break in the case enough for us to get the court to sign a search warrant. They do, and they search Sharon's house and her truck. When they go to execute the search warrant, her parents are at the house, and her parents cannot believe that the police are telling them that their daughter is the possible suspect for a murder for a woman that they do not know, they've never heard of. We don't know that our daughters had beef with this woman. And Shannon's mom's mine, and she is like, it doesn't make sense that Shannon is so obsessed with this man. And he has a whole fiance. Like, Shannon is not that type of girl. She is smart. She is capable. She has a good head on her shoulders. There is no reason for her to even be involved in some shit like this. When they search the house, they don't find any gun. They don't find any bullets. They search her car. They did forensic testing on the steering wheel. And what do you know? There is gunshot residue on her steering wheel. And this allowed them to get an arrest warrant signed for Shannon. Shannon was arrested on January 9th at her sister's home in front of her parents and her kids. And she still was adamant that she did not kill Danita Smith. Her family was crying and just, they couldn't believe what was happening. And when she walked out, everybody described her as calm, cool, collected. When we watched the Snapped episode, somebody said it was like she was walking outside to check the mail. That's how casually she walked out. And she was so casual that in her mugshot, she gave a little smile. Now, detectives, they were certain that they had enough evidence to get a conviction. And most of Danita's friends, they were just, they couldn't, it doesn't make sense. Danita and this man have been together for so long. They've never had any type of issues. We've never heard of Jameer and Danita having any problems whatsoever. She's flashing that ring like her life depends on it. She loves this man. So to find out that he had a secret lover that has come to kill her, it just does not make sense to any of Danita's friends and family. Once Shannon was arrested, she was given a $175,000 bond which she paid, and she was released. Three weeks after her release, on May 30th, 2007, Shannon and her attorneys asked, can they go speak to Detective Pate? Shannon wants to get the full truth off of her chest and say what really went down between her, Jameer, and Danita. She starts off the interview by saying, it was Jameer who has been stalking me. That's the only reason why I was even inclined to go to my coworker and ask to buy a gun from him. Jameer is who I wanted protection from. That's how crazy he had been getting. She said, and I don't even like guns. I swear that was the truth. I bought it for protection, but I felt so uncomfortable. I threw it away after about a day and a half. I'm just, they make me uncomfortable. It's not for me. Now, she goes on to talk about what happened revolving the murder. She says, I woke up on January 3rd. 
took my kids to the store. We get the groceries, come back home, and Shamir is inside my house, inside of my bedroom, waiting on me. I did not invite him. I did not know he was coming. He's just here waiting on me. And before I can say anything, he puts his finger up to his mouth, tells me to shh, lifts up his shirt and flashes his gun at me. My kids are in the house, so I can't let them know that something's going on. I don't want to scare them, and I don't want this to escalate to them getting involved. Shannon says she felt like he was going to kill her right then and there. She says, so immediately she's like, let me just get my kids out the house. She calls a babysitter, has them come pick up the kids, because she don't want this to get out of control. Not with her kids, dear Lord, please. So... Kids are gone. She says her and Jameer talked all night. And for some of the conversation, he was calm, reminiscent. But for the most part, he was angry, yelling, still mad that I left him. Now, around 5 a.m., he's like, let's go for a ride. She was like, nigga, no, I have to be at work in the morning. In just a few hours, as a matter of fact, he says, let me make it simple for you. Either... The children die, or you die for your children. So she's like, okay, so we get in the car. She says she doesn't know where they're going, but they get on 85, and he stops at an apartment complex. He grabbed her phone. He grabbed her keys. He gets out the car. And at this point, Shannon's feeling stuck. Run, run where? We've left my whole city. So... She calls into work. She says, hey, guys, one of my kids is sick. Going to take him to a doctor's appointment just to let y'all know I'm going to be a little late today. They're like, sure, Shannon, that's fine. Now, the police ask her in this moment, okay, if that's what happened, why didn't you get out and run? And she said, because my children are my main concern. If I run away, is he going to go home and hunt them down later? I have to be very careful about how I play this. Once he grabbed the keys and the phone, he goes up the stairs. And she says, shortly after he gets out the car, you can hear him yelling with somebody. But she's like, I don't, I don't really know who. I, I don't even know where we're at. But then you hear a woman's voice. She gets out of the car and she starts walking towards where she hears his sound coming from. And shortly after, she hears a gunshot. She says at this point, Jameer comes running down the stairs, shoving the gun in his pants, told her to get in the car, and he hopped in the driver's seat. Now, Shannon says, I try and get in the back seat. Like, I don't even want to sit up there with him, but the door is locked. And she's like, hey, the door is locked. Instead of unlocking that door, he climbs over the seat into the back seat, leaving the driver's seat available for her to get in. She gets in the driver's seat, and they start driving off. But as she's driving off, she notices a truck. It's the maintenance man. And he comes towards her. He says, hey, everything okay? And he's like, you look a little shaken up. And she says, no, I'm not okay. And he says, did you hear that gunshot? The same story the maintenance man said earlier. It's tracking. She, she put the right pieces in, you know. She says, all the while she's talking to him, Jameer is kicking in the back seat, I guess threatening her. And she says that she is trying to keep glancing towards the back seat, be suspicious. Don't look in the back seat. Whatever you do, not look in the back seat. She's doing this with her eyes. And he didn't get the hint. He never looked back there. And... The groundkeeper just says, I'm going to call the police to see what this gunshot was about. And 
She says that she watches him drive up the hill. She leaves, turns left, gets back on 85. He's back there telling her to drive, and she said, that's exactly what I did. Now, they both are in the car back to Greensboro. Jameer stays on the back seat floor the whole time, and as she's on the way back, she calls her kids. Now, this is the call that placed her in Durham when they pulled her records. The detectives are like, is this a plausible story? I ain't gonna hold you. Yes, it is. But why you ain't say something in the first interview? They said, we asked you if he was violent and you said no. She says, I don't recall you asking me that. And I don't recall saying no to that. But I'm going to tell you right now, yes, he is violent. He's threatened me numerous times. He knows I'm afraid of him. He knows exactly what to say to get me to do because he knows that I wasn't going to risk my kids for him. He knows where I stay. He knows where I live. He knows my routine. He knows where to find me at all times. So if I was a little hesitant giving you that information, that's why. Which they're like, okay, I mean, that tracks with abuse victims, right? Whether it's because they don't want to tell on their partner or because they fear for their life. The shaky story wasn't all that misleading at this point. It was actually plausible. So she continues to say, as soon as he said, it's either you die or you die for your children, I'm under his control because I ain't letting him touch my kids. So whatever you need me to do, you say jump on mask and how high because don't touch my babies. Now, this is very interesting because, again, this is the exact opposite of what Jameer is saying. So Jameer, come on back. We got to talk to you again. And Jameer is like, no, once again, I am the victim here. She has been stalking me. I am the one that has been dealing with all of this from her. Everything that she's saying is a lie. I was not in the car with her. Now, Shannon, at this time, she is out on bail. She and her family are trying to do their best to prepare for the upcoming trial. And during this time, she moved from Greensboro to Charlotte to be closer to her family. And according to her, as soon as she got out, Bzz, bzz. her phone starts blowing up and it's Jameer. And she is telling everybody, oh, Jameer is back and he's calling me, he's stalking me, he's threatening me. And then she makes a phone call to the police. She calls the police and she says that on June 20th, 2008, she hears the dogs barking. So she goes outside to see what it is and turns out it's Jameer. She says that Jameer is there and has a knife up to her and starts raping her for three hours between 2.30 a.m. and 5.30 a.m. She says that he cut her clothes off with a knife, held the knife to her throat, cut her thigh, continued to rape her with the knife, ejaculated, and then left her there. She goes to the hospital. They perform a rape kit on her and, and she is insisting that she needs stitches in her vagina. She talks to the detective assigned to her case, Detective Zinkon, and she tells them that they need to go to Jameer's trash can at his house and look for a knife. They question Jameer, and turns out Jameer is like, no, I was in Greensboro that night. I was not even close to her. I have not had contact with her. She killed my fiance. I want nothing to do with her. And they're like, do you have anything that can back this up? And he's, let me see, let me see. Oh yeah, I went to McDonald's that day. He has a receipt from McDonald's that proves that he was in Greensboro and not in Charlotte. A few days later, Jameer goes to throw away the garbage at his house. And it was a couple of days. You don't take the garbage out every single day. It had been a few days and he 
goes to take the trash out, he pulls out the trash and notices a knife at the bottom of the trash can. And so then he calls the police and he's like, there's a knife at the bottom of my trash. And so they look and when they also examined her, she had no lacerations. So they're like, ma'am, it's giving lie. It's giving false allegation. And so I guess Shannon was like, okay, that story didn't work. So she kicks it up a notch. She now has both of her parents convinced that Jameer is calling her back to back. And it's been happening since she tried to break it off with him over a year ago. Her mom said that she would see Shannon's phone blow up about 14, 15 times back to back. And both of them, especially Shannon, felt like the police weren't doing enough to protect Shannon. And they were saying, if Shannon's phone is blowing up like this... Y'all need to put a restraining order against. Y'all need to make sure that he has no contact. Like, something needs to happen. And because they felt like nobody was paying attention, was listening to them, they decided that they were going to start recording the voicemails and the phone calls that Jameer would leave her. On one phone call, you can hear a voice that is supposed to be Jameer ask Shannon, you've been talking? Who you been talking to? And when she tells him nobody... The voice says, I know you have. You shut the fuck up. And another call, the voice says, you okay? And Shannon says, what do you think? Why did all of this happen? I just want to know. And he's, and the voice says, you. She says, me? The voice says, yeah. She says, what about me? She don't even know me. I don't even know her. And then the voice says, she found out about you. She says, so that was the argument? And the voice says, yeah, I told you before, I'm trying to take care of this. I'm trying to keep my ass out of jail. If they find out I did it, that's life right there. And Shannon's like, what about me? The voice says, better you than me. Shannon says, this is wrong. This is wrong. I didn't do anything. The voice says, you know I'll find you. Shannon says, I know. The voice says, so why are you trying to play me? You know I'll find you. Shannon says, you going to kill me too? The voice says, you keep talking, you know I will. Keep your mouth shut. You know I already got away with murder once. Think I can't do it again? And then the phone call ends. And Shannon's parents are listening to these phone calls as well as the phone calls are being taped. And they're ready to present them to Shannon's lawyer. And they're like, this is perfect evidence. Now we can present this at trial. Shannon's lawyer made copies of all of these tapes and then distributed them to everybody at court because... Since it's a trial court, they also have to distribute it to the prosecution as well. And they get ready to... Take that shit to trial, bitch. Take that shit to trial, bitch. Take that shit to trial, bitch. Take that shit to trial. So, off rip, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what I find fishy about this thing from before it even starts. The defense is like, let's not break up the rape allegations. Let's not put that out in trial. And the prosecution's like, no, let it. And the judge is like, honestly, I think it's relevant. So we're going to leave it in there. The prosecution is loving this because they're like, this just adds to her having a pattern of vindictive behavior. So they start this trial February 8th. 2018. In the opening statements, the prosecutor argues that Shannon killed out of jealousy. She said the working theory is that Jameer wanted to be with Danita, wasn't interested in Shannon anymore, and Shannon couldn't take that. So she found out where Danita lives. Don't know how. This lady's crazy. She waited for her to exit the apartment that morning, and once Danita started walking down the stairs, Shannon stepped up behind her, shot her in the back of the head, and fled the scene, leaving her dead at the bottom of the stairs. And the defense is like, actually, what happened was that Jameer 
set this all up. And Jameer was having trouble balancing two women because he's a dog, right? And Jameer is the one who killed her. And then it just looks like she did. This is all his plan. The officer of the law. Who else would know how to get away with it? Shannon testifies. Tells the judge and jury everything she's been telling the cops. The abuse, the day of, the harassment. She just can't take it anymore. She tells them how she ended up getting pregnant, having an abortion. He's obsessed. He kills Danita, blames it on him. They're like, okay, we don't have any record of Jameer being in Durham. We only got your phone lines. And she was like, because he's smart. Wouldn't a cop know to leave his phone behind? Now, going back and forth, they're questioning people. Day three of the trial, Jameer takes the stand. They said that as soon as he walked in, Shannon's body kind of tensed up. He gets on the stand and he says the complete opposite. He says, Shannon's the one obsessed with me. Shannon is the one who's jealous. I had a woman. I was happy. I was ready to marry her. And then she killed her. What do I have to gain from the need of being dead? That's the woman I proposed to. They was like, okay, so what you have going on with Shannon then? He's like, listen, I ain't gonna lie. I was a bit of a ladies' man, right? I dibbled and dabbled in places I shouldn't have from time to time. But ever since me and Shannon broke it off, and ever since me and Danita been engaged, I've been faithful. I've been treating her right. But the defense, right there, they're questioning his sincerity. Obviously, he doesn't want to take the rap for this murder, so he's going to say whatever he has to say. Now, the prosecution is like, that's a good try, but... None of Jameer's DNA was found at the crime scene. None of Jameer's DNA was found in Shannon's car. So all you really got is a he said, she said, but evidence on the he said because she the one who got evidence there. Fingerprints there. Gunshot residue on her car. To continue to question Jameer, and they're like, do you own a gun? He says, yes, I do. I own two. I have my personal gun, a six hour, 40 caliber, and then I have my service weapon, a 40 caliber also, Glock 23. But he does admit to carrying it even when he's off duty. Now, the prosecution is like, Shannon didn't complain about Jameer to anyone. Ain't nobody knows she was harassed. Ain't nobody knows she was stalked. Ain't nobody know he was threatening her with violence. This all comes up. All of it surfaces the day of Danita's murder. That day is when she goes to her supervisor and says she's scared. Is Hansel and Gretel, is Gretel leaving a little breadcrumbs here? It's giving obvious. They're like, on top of that, she's super late to work. And of course, Shannon's like, I explained that already. They don't like it. It's too lined up for them. Now, the prosecution continues with their theory saying that she actually wanted the baby to trap him. But... When that still didn't work, she became inconsolable, and this is why she's concocting this plan. They say it also wasn't until all the evidence was stacked against you that you even told the police the truth. Because even in your first interview, you said this man ain't do nothing to you. It wasn't until you was in jail that you had something else to say. Even still, your charges didn't get dropped. So you decided you was going to keep fabricating this story and you was going to throw in some voice recordings. And really, you're just trying to frame my mans over here and we're not having it. Now, and then when they play the voice recordings, girl. (laughs) Next, the prosecution calls Ryan Harger. Ryan Harger is a custodian of records at Sprint slash Nextel. 
He gets up there and he explains how the company keeps records of incoming and outgoing calls, the duration of the calls, the cell towers they were near. And both Harger and the Durham Police Detective Chapel showed that Shannon was making calls in a cell tower in Durham near Campus Crossing, the apartments that Danita lived in. But Jeremy's phone did not show that. Now again, Shannon said he's too smart for that. So the prosecution calls Pamela Zinkin. Pamela is a detective in the sexual assault unit of Charlotte's and Mackenberg Police Department. Now she gets up there and testifies that based on the alleged time of the rape and Jameer's cell phone records, that he would have had to travel from Charlotte to Greensboro at approximately 120 miles per hour without stopping for any red lights in order to do this when she said it happened. She also testified that she performed a rape kit on Shannon and it was negative for semen. The lacerations on Shannon's neck and thigh, the abrasions on her outer labia, and both a nurse and a physician's assistant testified that none of these injuries required stitching and none of the injuries happened inside the vaginal canal. Now, so basically, she had no evidence of rape. Now, in connection with the alleged rape, neighbors from Jameer's neighborhood also testified to some interesting things on June 19th, 2008, which is the day before this alleged rape happened. Brandon Insor is a neighbor of Jameer, and he testified that he heard a thump and saw a vehicle in the driveway from the area of where Jameer's trash cans were. Another neighbor says that she saw somebody throwing something away in Jameer's trash can on June 19th, and then they drove away. And what did they find in Jameer's trash can? The knife. On February 15th, the state firearms expert says that it was a 38 caliber bullet. Testimony from another agent showed that a 40 caliber gun is not designed to shoot a 38 caliber bullet. Duh. Dr. Synthes Gardner, a forensic pathologist, testified that Danita was killed by a distant-range gunshot wound to the head. During her autopsy, a bullet from Danita's body was recovered, and the forensic firearms analyst testified that it was most likely fired from a gun in the 38 caliber family. Eight possible firearms could be responsible for the bullet, including the Taurus that we know that Shannon had. Ronald Simpson, who was the co-worker that spoke to detectives about selling Shannon the gun, also testified in the trial. He said to the court that he sold Shannon the 38 caliber Taurus Special Revolver on October of 2006 in the parking lot of their job. Shannon then testified that she got rid of the gun shortly thereafter by throwing the gun in a dumpster and the bullets into another dumpster. Now, they did play the tapes in the trial. And when they played the tapes, everybody was like, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. We have heard Jameer's voice. We have seen him speak multiple times. Detectives have spoken to him. He's got a very deep voice. He's a deep-spoken type of man. And the person on these tapes has a higher pitch than he does. I mean, it's still a man, right? But it's not—it ain't the same man. It's giving like a Cali high pitch. Right. It's giving not the same person. Oh my gosh, was it her ex husband? <gasps> was it her baby daddy? <gasps> you know that Arthur gas? He goes, 
<laughs> oh my gosh, maybe it was her baby daddy. Because her baby daddy needs to keep her baby mom, his baby mama out of jail. <gasps> Gasp. But Jameer has that deep country tone to his voice. So they knew that it wasn't him. And it, everybody is hearing it like, this ain't him. The prosecution is like, listen, the man is not Jameer. And we don't need a voice Denise expert to tell us that. The jury done heard him testify. The tapes here don't sound like him. Like, girl. Danita's friends are getting up and they're like, we know Jameer well. And that ain't his voice. Like, we've heard him speak multiple times. We've been on the phone with Danita while he waking up. We've heard him speak in different types of pitches because we be on the phone with Danita. We know what the hell this man sound like. And it was very obvious to everybody that it just was not him on the tapes. Now, according to Shannon's dad, he's like, listen, Jameer was on the stand for all of 15 minutes. That is not long enough to really get a full scope of his voice. And if he knows that there are audio tapes, what makes you think that he's not up there pretending to have a deep voice? Prosecution is like, listen, she played y'all. I don't know what to tell you. She's playing y'all in your face. There's false tapes. There's a false rape. It's a false story. Everything that she has tried to bring to the table, it has been disproved by science and testimony from multiple people. There is no weapon. There's no sign of him being abusive. And there's no sign of her really being scared. Is he ain't shit? Yeah, he ain't shit because he shouldn't have been messing with her in the first place. We'll give you that. But that's about it. On February 22nd, 2010, Shannon was found guilty of first-degree murder with malice and preparation and perpetration. It took the jury about seven hours over the course of two days to deliver the verdict. Ooh, that's scary. And apparently, in deliberations, when the jurors asked to listen to more of the tapes, Shannon's lawyers complained and said that they had more material on the tapes that were not actually presented during trial. So how are we going to have them listen to all these tapes afterwards? And Shannon's lawyers were pretty upset about this because now there's more evidence on these tapes that they did not have a chance to talk about and present in front of the judge and they're trying to say that if i'm not able to address these things it violates her sixth amendment right to counsel to now have this stuff played for the jury that was not officially put into the state's evidence and then they can just listen to it no they have the opportunity to listen to more of the tapes and they didn't take that opportunity when the judge was present now the judge said listen while you guys are deliberating, the tapes are irrelevant. And that's why they came back with that first-degree murder conviction. Now, before Shannon was sentenced, her defense tried to get her first interview with the police thrown out. They said, listen, she didn't specifically ask for an attorney. And so we haven't crossed any bounds, lines here. Also, y'all saying that we made her stay. We did not make her stay. Now, her supervisor told her this, we're not responsible for what her supervisor told to her. Her attorneys thought that this was grounds for a mistrial, but the judge disagreed and this was not thrown out and they continued with the sentencing. Now, before it says anything, it says, Shannon, is there anything that you would like to say? And she declines. Sort of bit a good chance to say you're sorry or it wasn't me, but my condolences go to the family, anything, but... She declined to speak. Danita's mom, however, Miss Sharon Smith, got up there and said, I hope you rot in hell because you took something from me and she didn't do anything to you. She didn't even know you. 
which is like I can imagine somebody saying, "Your daughter's been shot. What by who? Shannon? Who? <laughs> the fuck you even got to do with this over here?" He said, "Jameer Stroud caused a perfect storm to happen and then walked away from it, and that was unfortunate for everybody in this case." Which is, you know, kind of a little crazy sentiment coming from a judge. No, I cannot legally hold you responsible. But all of this stemmed from you, bruh, and you have nothing. We say it all the time. That nigga fucked shit up, and he has nothing to do with the consequences. Because, of course, it's not his actions that cause it. But, boy, y'all are driving nigga crazy. And it'd be like, why are you acting crazy? <laughs> Shannon was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Danita's family was happy with the conviction of Shannon. But on the other hand, of course, Shannon's family is hurting, especially her mom. She felt helpless for her daughter. Her dad said, quote, if it's the last thing I ever do, I will prove that he is the one who committed this murder. Shannon's mom said, my daughter, who was the perfect victim for someone like Jameer Stroud, now has to spend the rest of her life in prison. The very shook up, still believing the best in their daughter, which I guess is what you want from a parent. I... Her mom, of course, is going to believe her daughter. Right. That's what like, I mean, I guess that's what you want is for your mom to believe you, but, like, and want to think the best of you, especially in the case of murder. Like, please think I had nothing to do with it. I know my mama would ask me at least once, did you do it? And that's my chance to decide if I'm going to tell her or not. But from there, once I tell her no, she better be riding for me. Kids, tell your parents the truth. Please. My mom used to say to me, I, especially if I got in trouble for something, she's like, I better hear it from you before I hear mm-hmm. it from anybody else. I'd get in more because trouble. Because then they, they know how to proceed. Else. Exactly. Then they know how to proceed if, surprisingly, the big fight in school, mm-hmm. I did not get in as much trouble at home as I thought I would because that was probably the only time where I actually listened to my mom and I told her first mm-hmm. what went down before she had to come up to the school. Mm-hmm and hear about it and she knew the ins and outs of it because um, at the end she of the knew day, stuff that the other girl's mama didn't know if and she was stupid. able to defend me exactly don't have me out here looking stupid right don't have me out do not have your parents out here looking stupid my mom used to i'm telling y'all my mom used to say this all the time and when i wouldn't do it my mom did not like lying nothing like that and i used to try to get away with stuff and you can't really get away with shit like your parents fucking know you know what Mm -hmm. i'm saying i was 16 years old my mom used to make me sit down and read the boy who cried wolf out loud to her like i was fucking five (laughs) she did my mom but the point she said you're not as slick as you think you are and just because you got away with something doesn't mean you got away with it i let you get away with it so every t- time you thought you got one over, I gave you a blessing, okay? But you're never as smart as you think exactly. you are. Exactly. You never, you really never are. And it's so important that you just tell your folks the truth. We've seen the cases where they've done something wrong, and the first thing they do is tell their parents, and their parents give them the right advice. Mm-hmm. Okay, we need to get a lawyer. We need to make sure that we are talking to the right people. You need to turn yourself in. We need to make sure that we are handling this properly. Instead, you had your mom out here looking, defending you down and looking dumb. 
No parent wants to do that because now I'm not only am I being lied to, I'm being lied to by my child about something major. And don't have me out here looking naive or don't really don't have me looking stupid. Because there would even be times where, like, I'm going to be like, am I going to hear anything? And she going to talk to my teachers. And, yeah, she will check the teachers for the issue that I'm having, but then turn around and check me. And why you ain't say, like, for real, you just got to give, you're going to get in trouble either way. But let them be in a position to hold you down. Then her attorney tried to motion for another mistrial, saying that some of the jurors hadn't listened to the tapes when they were introduced. This motion was also denied. Then he tried to say that the prosecution surprised everybody with the tapes. He said this is obviously a clear ground for mistrial. The judge disagreed with that also. Danita's mom said again, you took my baby from me. She wasn't yours to take. There's no man worth having anything like that. Someday I may forgive you. But I don't. Right now, I hope you rot in hell. You're vile. Danita's dad said, I was thankful to God for the guilty verdict because I was glad that Danita didn't get murdered twice. In my opinion, the evidence spoke for itself. It couldn't have been no other verdict but a guilty verdict. And Danita's dad also expressed how angry he was with Shamir, not just for cheating on Danita, but he failed to protect her when this shit blew up. You know what I mean? If you saying Shannon is out of control stalking you, you should have shut that shit down before she ever had a chance to lay a finger on my baby. The day after her trial, February 23rd, Shannon already got started with an appeal before they even came back with the sentencing. They argued that the testimony from Mr. Hagar had been tainted because he didn't make the exhibits used in trial to show exactly where the calls took place. Although he testified that the report seemed accurate, the defense tried to get it thrown out because the exhibits were made by the prosecution. The courts found no error in this and they dismissed her appeal. Now, Shannon is housed at the North Carolina Central Institute. Shannon's parents still maintain that she is innocent and still there is no hard evidence that has linked Jameer to Danita's murder. Jameer is now a financial advisor for Merrill Lynch. So if you want to learn how to invest or anything like that, you can hit him up. This is not an ad. He's been working for that company since 2022. And it looks like before that he was working for various insurance investment groups. He now lives in Atlanta, Ohio. Lord. And I couldn't tell officially, but it seems like he does have children. He says that he likes to spend time with his family. He is now married. And if you Google his name, most of the articles that pop up are about his success that he has found as a financial advisor. He was even featured in shoutoutatlanta.com, which is, you know how that's going. Yeah. He apparently now has a podcast called No Chaser LLC. We didn't find much about where Shannon's children are now, but when this happened, they were preteens. So they are either with their dad or with their grandparents and hopefully not children of the state. North Carolina Central University did create a scholarship fund in memory of Danita Smith, and they named the newsroom there after her as well. And this is the story of Shannon Crawley. Boo! All right, y'all, it's time for... Well, I'm not black. I'm OJ. I didn't do it, but if I did, this is how I would have got away with it. I didn't do it, but if I did, I would have wiped down the steering wheel 
so that there was not any gunshot residue on the steering wheel. I feel like the first thing, it was days, and they came back and that gunshot residue was still there. That would have been the first thing I did. Yeah. She didn't know that much about guns, so she probably didn't even know about gunshot residue. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. I didn't do it, but if I did, I would, I would have pressed harder on why it took so long to find Danita's body if it was her. I feel like too much time. The, the police came out there, didn't see nothing, and then now once she's gone, there's a body at the bottom of the stairs? Come on now. Make it make sense. Since she's playing, she her whole defense was reasonable doubt. Y'all should have put more pressure on that timeline. Absolutely. Because if they responded, they would have found her body. If they responded at the 1100 building, they should have found her at the 1100 building at that time. I didn't do it, but if I did, let me put on my Delulu hat. If I was Shannon, I would have had that baby. You wanted the baby, had a baby. Mm. Have the baby. Let me tell you, that's how you blow that shit up. He wasn't going to be able to deny that baby. If you really want to blow some shit up, have that baby. He can't force you to have to not have the baby. Baby, I'm going to have this baby. If you really want to get on the Lulu, that's how you do it. I ain't do it, but if I did, what else would I have done? Ah, she did do a good job because they never found that murder weapon. So I don't know where you put that thing, girl, but it's gone. It's gone. Maybe don't get the gun from your coworker, because, girl, as soon as they said you was a suspect and walked in there, he started alibying himself out. He was too close. Yep. Don't mix murder in the workplace. It's not a good look. That's all I got. All right, y'all, let's read some reviews. Wherever you're listening, you can leave us a review. I I guess she in there for life. She in there for life. You can do your appeals, and we can see what comes of it. You can try to press that timeline, but it's giving life. It's giving stay there. Ah, that's crazy. She got, she really got life. But then, you know what mm-hmm. else they said? They said, <clears throat> and maybe this is also back to I ain't do it, but if I did. They said that shot directly to the back of the head, one shot, they said it was a pretty good shot. So if she's so uncomfortable with guns and don't know nothing, she got fucking lucky. And that's why they was like, that's why they were looking into Jameer, because they was like, it was a good fucking shot. Also, they probably should have pressed harder on that for reasonable doubt. And I think maybe with those two things, I don't think she would have got this. I think they might have, I think she might have at least could have worked a plea deal. Because I don't know. I do have a lot more questions to make this story add up for me, so life doesn't quite feel right. If she did it, okay, but something's off here. I think you're right. We'll see if she has any more appeals coming. All right, let's read some reviews. If you want to leave us a review, you can. You can do it anywhere that you're listening right now, and we totally appreciate it. Please give us a five-star and written review, and you may hear your review on the show. Wherever you're listening, go ahead and follow the podcast so that you can get automatic updates when we post on Friday. This one is—oh, it's a long one. It says five stars. Simply amazing. 
I am a white gay male who loves this podcast. I listen on Spotify, but I downloaded Apple Podcasts just to leave this review. I had never been into podcasts because like the both of y'all, I have ADHD, so I tend to lose focus and find people hard to follow. But this one is golden. I found this podcast during a difficult time in my life and I was looking for an outlet. Listening to Taz and Mara speak makes me feel like we're all in the same room together and so many others have said before, I find myself talking back to the phone. Sisters Who Kill has helped me so much with my mental health and helped ground me to become more present. It has also taught me so much about the injustices that have happened in this country that simply are not taught in school at all or not taught accurately. Keep doing exactly what y'all are doing. You guys are amazing. So much love and support. Thank you so much, Mr. 19373072. XJ9. Did you ever used to watch that? My life as a teenage robot? No. I did not have cable growing up. <laughs> so if it wasn't on public television, I did not know it. But you had that so raven. I was old episodes that would come on public television on Saturdays. <laughs> I didn't even know they did that. You had cable. After school, I watched Dragon Tales, Maya, Miguel, Cyberspace. I had a whole fucking Cyber Chase, excuse me. Between the Lions, um, Sagwa, Dragon Tales. Oh, I used to love Sagwa. Uh, I used to, and it felt like it was so hard to catch. Definitely some Arthur, always ending on a good Arthur, Zoom. Mm hmm. But then I would... Yep, those all came on public TV. Yeah. And then I would move... When I got, like, in middle school, On, I, it was a lot of fear factor. And... I love fear factor. <laughs> I did, too. But it was my choices at the time. It was fear factor. And you remember Kale from Keenan and Kale got his own dance show called Dance 360. And it was a break dance battle show. And I had to get off the bus super on time to catch that shit. And I would only catch like half of it. But I used to love, I think it was called Dance 360. And I used to love that shit. And then mm. I just, for the nights, do some TBS, Friends, King of Queens, a bunch of Jim Carrey movies. TBS yeah. loves some Jim Carrey movies. This one says, amazing. Y'all are literally the best. Like, OMG. Y'all have me shaking in my boots some episodes. Crying emoji. Thank you, girl. Perfect. If you want to follow us, you can. Please do. Follow us on Instagram, Sisters Who Kill Pod. On TikTok, Sisters Who Kill Podcast. On Twitter, excuse me, X, Sisters Who Kill. <laughs> on Facebook, Sisters Who Kill Podcast. And on Facebook, we also have a private discussion group, which is called Sisters Who Kill Private Discussion Group. You must answer the questions to get in. Anything else, friend? Talk to us, we talk back. Bye.